Welcome to Sex Unshackled. I am Becky Krepsley Fox, and this podcast is where sexuality and spirituality meet. Today on Sex Unshackled, I have David Stewart with me. David was the first to name and identify chemsex as an emerging gay cultural phenomenon. He developed the world's first chemsex support services, and he fought relentlessly for greater chemsex awareness. David has an informative YouTube channel, writes academically, has a vice documentary around chemsex, as well as lots of helpful advice and tools on his website. David is really leading the way on working with chemsex issues, and I am so excited to have him here with me today. David, can you please tell the listeners what brought you to this work? Hi, Becky. Hey. What brought me to the work? I, uh, accident and uh, um, chaos, really. I was, um, I had a, t- a pretty rough entry into young gay life, and um, I got wrapped up in drugs pretty early on. And I got involved in chemsex. I got arrested for drug dealing because that happens often to people who are caught up in an addiction cycle. And um, I found myself after all that kind of crashed with uh, the, the, um, the, the embers of all of that mess. And when I was looking for drug use support, um, I kept being referred to these sort of heroin addiction places. And the people in the waiting rooms and the queues were not anything like me or the people I'd been using drugs with. They, the people that were supporting me didn't have kind of a clue about my gay life or grinder. In fact, they kind of stumbled awkwardly and innocently not like it wasn't homophobic but just naively didn't understand the context of my use so I stumbled into this because I became um I, I started volunteering basically because I was just really determined that I was I needed help with a different kind of drug use phenomenon and that kind of support didn't exist and I I don't know why I I became the guy that did it but I just did become the guy that started making it happen and thank god that you did this is so needed. And I think I read somewhere on your website or I heard somewhere on your website you saying that, um, you know, there's addiction clinics and there's sexual health clinics, but with you, you're kind of fusing the two and that's what you couldn't find, right? Yeah, I think if you do, if you talk about any kind of, I mean, let's talk about HIV. If you were a, a, a Black African woman living with HIV and you wanted support, it, you wouldn't want to go to a place that's just full of gay men. You would want someone that understood your own culture. And so fortunately there are services that are like that and because people fought for them to happen. Um, similarly, you know, gay men's HIV services, gay men fought for them to happen too. So they weren't just a whole lot of heterosexual doctors not understanding gay sex and gay life as well. Cultural competency and um, a cultural integrity in support services is good public health. And at, in regard to chemsex, the brilliant people who understand street homelessness, crime, heroin, drug use, and the need to, to steal drugs because you've got a physical addiction that has dangerous withdrawal symptoms, that kind of the skill and expertise to deal with that doesn't lend itself much toward hooking up on Grindr and having gay sex in the climate of uh, an ongoing HIV epidemic, in the climate of uh, societal homophobia, not so much about gay life, but gay sex, that disgusting gay sex that they have. You know, the fact that chemsex is wrapped up in all that kind of stuff sometimes means that the support services need cultural competency. Yes, I couldn't agree anymore. And you briefly just mentioned it, but for the listeners, what is chemsex? 
Okay, so there's a thing called sexualized drug use, which is when anybody uses um, any kind of drug or alcohol in, in a sexual context, like to have sex or to make sex better or to medicate sex because they're not enjoying it. When they, that's sort of sexualized drug use. And a particular form of that is something that was uh, a, a kind of gay sex that was born out of um, a gay sex drug issue that was born out of um, sort of grinder hookup culture, born out of people trying to enjoy sex in an HIV epidemic, people trying to enjoy gay sex in a climate of societal homophobia over the last you know, 50 years. And all of that has kind of manifested in a, a kind of unique phenomenon called chemsex, which is particularly that when gay men um, use certain drugs in sexual contexts, and it's not all drugs because all drugs serve different purposes. So chemsex drugs are crystal methamphetamine, which is uh, it's, it's a it's a speed that you smoke in a pipe. It can be injected too, um, and methadone in here in Europe. That's not true in every part of the world. But methadone is a cathinone. It's like a powder that you sniff. You can also inject that too. Also really good for sex. And a GHB or GBL, which is a liquid, which is a complicated drug. It comes with a whole lot of dangers. It can be used in many different contexts. Also really good for sex. So those three drugs are pretty much known as the chemsex drugs. Um, anyone trying to have sex on like other drugs like heroin or ketamine it's just not it doesn't look the same so these, these are chemsex drugs that are specifically good for this purpose and particularly favored by this population too mm -hmm. there were there was a time when ecstasy and cocaine were the most popular drugs by gay men all over the world you know drugs that facilitated connection and partying and dance and happiness and joy and community during times when gays were often brought up alone or isolated or ashamed of keeping secrets about things. But now it seems we've dumped those drugs pretty much in favor of the chemsex drugs. We're seeming to need a drug to help us with our sex lives. Mm. So if someone's listening to this podcast and they're thinking, well, I take drugs and I have sex, I'm wondering if there's um, a different dynamic between taking drugs and having sex and chemsex. There, no, not necessarily. Um, it's different for everybody anyway. I mean, if that person was sitting in front of me, I'm not going to get all political and argue about what word they are using to describe their drug use. I'm just going to talk about, um, are you enjoying yourself? Um, why are you here talking to me about it? Is it something you wanted to change or address? Do you need some harm reduction information to make sure you don't avoid harm? Do you want to explore whether you're using it um, to medicate a sexual experience or if you're using it just to enhance? Um, why are you here? How can I help you? What do you want to talk about? That's where I'd start. And why can chemsex be problematic for some people? Um, sex can be problematic if you are using it for the wrong reasons. If, if you are using it to please people, if using it to um, out of trauma or psychosexual abuse as a child, or if you don't have a, uh, if you have a very unhealthy relationship to sex, you can use sex or engage in sexual scenarios in a really, really unhealthy way. Mm. Um, and so there's that. Um, I think that when you have to, uh, and drugs can be complicated too. You know, I mean, I wish you drugs were just like um, uh, chocolate and the side effects were just getting fat. And it, it's <laughs> a little more complicated than that in the sense that they, they have a very complex relationship to our psychology and our brain works in our central nervous system. So you can develop habits really quickly, um, kind of like, Drugs kind of work on a particular part of your brain. They work um, on the central nervous system. So even though that we've got our cognitive brain, which solves problems and um, can reflect back on the past and the future and make clever, wise decisions based on 
reasoning, the part that our drugs are working on are, are sort of very instinctive Darwinian parts. They're parts about pleasure-seeking, reward, uh, habit, repetitive behavior, repetitive behavior, meaning survival. Also, sex is about survival too. We think about it as a self-indulgence, but actually sex is how our species continues to thrive. Hunger and pleasure that we get from eating food when we're hungry stops us, our species from dying of starvation. The pleasure we get when we satisfy thirst is not just an indulgent, this drink tastes nice, it's so that our species doesn't die of thirst. Drugs are tapping into that same system, pleasure and reward and habit. And so when we use drugs repeatedly for a while, they can, um, form habits and trying to undo those habits can be a little more problematic and a lot of people don't understand that i wish people understood that in school i wish people thought well oh, if i use these things then my brain will start acting in a way which makes me uh, act weird uh, like i keep on using the drug even when i don't want to what's wrong with me we should be taught about how our brains work like that in school so that when we dabble with them as young people um we kind of know what's going on and so there's a stigma and we can go forward and, and talk to people and get some help when that happens to us Mm. I think I answered your question in a really crap way. <laughs> what did I miss? <laughs> no, that was perfect. <laughs> what was the question? <laughs> the question was, um, I don't remember now. I do. It was really about, no, <laughs> sex, sometimes can chemsex be problematic or when is it not? Why can chemsex be problematic? <laughs> And it's, it is sometimes, and it's not sometimes, but it's confusing. Basically, this telltale signs is if it's problematic if you're not enjoying it, but you keep doing it anyway. It's problematic if you are enjoying it, but it's also coming with other consequences that you don't know how to handle. Uh, like the main thing, the reason that, that it becomes problematic from my experience is when people say, I keep on doing it, uh, even though uh, it's, it's really, really good and it's really, really bad at the same time. And I want to take a break, but I keep on doing it anyway. And I'm in this cycle and this pattern of behavior. And I don't know why I'm doing it. It kind of defeats logic. And it's, it makes me feel like every time I try to set a goal for myself, I'm not achieving it. This is confusing for me because I'm a goal achiever in lots of other areas of my life. But this is weird. I don't understand it. And that's one way that people say it's becoming problematic because it's confusing. Mm -hmm. If it was black and white, like, I, I, I don't know if you know, Elton John famously, I think, wrote a letter to, um, to his drug when he was giving up cocaine. And I, 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 read, I heard about this second or third hand, so I don't know how, I've never seen the letter or anything. But I believe that writing, a, if, in the letter, he was on, my dear cocaine, I love you, you've made my life better, you've given me joy, you've helped me cope with things, but at the same time, you've ruined this and you've ruined that and you made that difficult and complicated. If I just loved you, it would be easy to say goodbye. If I just hated you, it would be easy to say goodbye. But it's complicated. It's all of the above. And that's why it's so hard to say goodbye to you. So sometimes drugs become problematic. Chemsex can be problematic because it's so good and so bad and so mixed up. It's really complicated and frightening to consider making changes. Yeah, that idea about Elton John's letter is beautiful and I love him. I think he's amazing. Um, and I think, you know, that's bang on it, isn't it? Because it's like, well, at the time I had this amazing, you know, so say it's a Saturday night, I had this amazing experience. And then on Sunday morning, I feel terrible. So then I, I'm after that amazing experience again, and then I feel terrible again. And it's just so up and so down that of course it's going to be confusing. Of course it's going to be complicated because there's just such a variety of emotions and the polarities as well. There's no like middle ground. 
it's like breaking up with a, a partner you know it's you do love them but it doesn't work and that conflict is what makes it so hard and i, I, th I think addressing our drug use is similar because it's so brilliant and so complicated it's not like such an easy decision to do one thing or the other it's really complicated and that's why we need great therapists like yourself and great drugs workers like myself mm. to help people untangle those that the codependent complicated mixed up nightmare that it is to 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 get through these things mm. and you mentioned grinder earlier can you tell us a bit more about grinder or other apps um, and how they are part of this dynamic for chemsex sure yeah it is part of it i think i think Grinder and, and those sex apps are part of the definition of chemsex. I don't think chemsex would exist if we were still having sex with people that we met in bars or through social networks. Um, there is a, a pressure and expectation to hook up life. Anyone listening to this podcast, regardless whether they're gay or not, knows that hook up life is, is challenging. I know there's some people on the planet, usually men, that can jump into bed with anyone or anything, put their dick in anything and find a pleasure about it without thinking, does my bum look big in this? Or without this self-consciousness. I don't know a lot of people like that. I'm certainly not like that. And I know that actually sex is more complicated for a lot of people. It uh, is sometimes you do need to form an intimacy or a bond, even if it's just a 20 minute one. For some people it's a four date over a four week bond, but some people it's just a 20 minute bond over a drink in a bar. Some people it's, it's just, um, a uh, feeling you get that I've spoken to you for 10 minutes face to face and I can tell from your facial expressions that you're a safe person for me to unburden myself and become intimate with. Uh, so many things can go wrong. I can make a fool of myself. Um, you could, I could handle it badly. I, uh, there's parts of my body I don't like and I want to be able to, I don't want to pretend that I like them just to please you and perform. There's a whole lot of things that can go wrong and I can tell just from this con contact that we've had together, that you're a safe person to go into the situation with. Now, Grindr and Hookup apps don't really allow for a lot of that. You know, there's a whole lot of rejection culture, performance culture. It's a bit like that Insta-fame culture. You know, there's a whole lot of brilliant people on Instagram, those Insta-famous people who great, have, have probably great families, but it doesn't matter that their family loves them. They need more likes and they need the picture where they are on the yacht in Dubai. Uh, and it's all very fake and they need more affirmations and they need more affirmations. So Grindr is just the, <laughs> the gay sex version of Instagram. And you do need there are a whole lot of people there looking for affirmations that they haven't really thought through um, with a person like you or with me. You know, sometimes the sex, the horniness they're feeling is more complicated than just hooking up with a stranger. Maybe their needs aren't going to be met that way, but they're not having those conversations in schools. They're not having these conversations with their mums. They're not having these conversations in culture. And a gay sexual liberation is a brilliant thing unless it's happening in a vacuum of a discussion around sexual well-being, and this is why psychosexual therapists. Um, <laughs> you've got to tell me about lust yoga, whatever that is. <laughs> it helps us have conversations about how complicated sex is without having to perform it all the time for expectation reasons. We need those discussions, and at the moment, gay sexual liberation and hookup culture is happening in a vacuum where queer sex is not being discussed in school, let alone other kinds of sexual freedom is being discussed in school, all under the umbrella of a history of religion that makes, you know, 
sex outside of marriage even bad and <clears throat> there's so many things in our head when we're having sex sometimes it's a god shaming you maybe it's your evangelistic mum being disgusted by what you're doing maybe it's your homophobic uncle that thinks you're a, a, a feminine disgusting creature just when you're trying to throw your legs in there and have great sex there's a whole lot of things that can make sex complicated uh, we need to be having more conversations so that this great gay sexual liberation can be more enjoyable mm. i'm wondering as well if there's something about anonymity did i say that right I heard it right. Anonymity, something like that. Everyone knows what I mean um, about these apps. Do you yeah. think that there's there's something about that as well? When maybe before Grinder or off Grinder, because there is that connection, there might be less of a want to experience these types of sex and drug activities with them. I don't know. I'm just curious. I'm curious too. I mean, it, it is there's a, a million and the, there's endless things that people are looking for when they're, when they're looking for sex and what they're hooking up. I'm sure there are some people that, that like um, Grindr and you can hook up. Um, they, they're well esteemed and if they get rejections, they can handle them. It's not something they internalize. Um, I like to think they're kind and when they do reject other people, they do it in a way which is really um, kind. Um, and the, when they are having sex, they're having a, enjoying the connection with another person, enjoying their own sexuality and the togetherness and the connection with the other person and they're not taking any trauma away from it and not traumatizing other people in the process of it. That would be great. And I'm sure there are people out there that are doing it. I don't meet a lot of them. Um, obviously they're not coming forward looking for help. Um, the people I meet, and there's a lot of them, um, get horny, know that this is an option. Um, to be honest, there's people out there that if they say, I don't want to have sex with you, actually, I just want to date and get to know you first because I get nervous taking my clothes off with a stranger, but I'm less nervous if I can get to know you first. And sadly, the courage that it takes to say that sentence yeah. and the rejections that you are likely to get. Um, I don't know what it's like in your world, but in, in hookup culture, it's very much, you might get things like you girl, which is, mm -hmm. you know, because it's not a masculine thing in inverted commas to, to be vulnerable about sex. Um, other people are wanting it now, now, now. They don't want to date, and that's part of a culture of now culture anyway. Um, it's, uh, it's These are the conversations. I'd really like to embolden the people I work with to, to say, I know what I want from sex. I know what makes it good. I don't want to live up to an expectation culture, and I don't want to perform sex, which doesn't have a lot of intimacy or vulnerability. I don't want to do anonymous sex just because that's what the world is doing. I want to find my own way that brings pleasure and connection and all those kinds of things, mm -hmm. even in a world where I'm going to get rejection just for stated saying I want it. Beautiful. Yeah. And if someone's listening to this and they're thinking this is sounding quite close to home and that they are experiencing some of these issues, what, what can they do? Where can they go? I like to think you've got a best friend, someone that does care about you, someone that wants you, cares about the things that you care about, um, that person that always listens. Um, but again, you know, we are living in a culture where that isn't always possible. You know, sometimes it is kind of outside the norm to communicate a vulnerability around sex in gay hookup culture. So um, I would say if you're listening, there's a lot of people in gay charities. There's a lot of people in sexual health clinics are really, really good too, because gay sex is discussed a lot in sexual health clinics. And they've, in England anyway, they've all got health advisor teams that help us figure this stuff out. 
drug services might not be the right place to go, but there's also a whole lot of um, sexual therapists, um, psychosexual therapists, also just general therapists that do know how to listen and help you figure out what you want. So, I mean, I, I think if someone is listening to us talking and thinking this is me, um, I would say you deserve to have a really brilliant, kind conversation about what you want your sex life to be like. Think about the best sex you've ever had. Why was it good? Think about the worst sex you've ever had and what was making that bad. Thinking about, think about this ideal scenario, of what would make a, the perfect sexual situation for you. Um, there might be one that, that, that there's a ferocious fantasy and there might be one that fits more neatly into uh, a realistic life scenario. Think about these things and then find someone to talk to about them because sometimes making those things happen isn't available on the grinder platform or isn't even available in your in your world but it is available but sometimes we do need a little bit of help to, to find the, the courage and strength and the boundaries and the communication skills to make those things happen mm. yeah that's exactly it isn't it so finding working out what type of sex you actually want to have instead of the sex that you habitually have having or yeah that's exactly it and share it share it with someone who you can trust I personally did so much, I want to say forgettable sex, and I, I don't mean that to offend any of the people I had sex with, I don't know if they're listening, but I, I just mean that um, I did so much performance sex. There were so many times when I wasn't enjoying it, but I knew that I um, wanted to enjoy it. I knew that you don't stop it, and I knew that maybe if I keep pushing it, this it'll, it'll work, or maybe... Um, happiness comes at some point if I just keep pushing through this but sometimes there was just so much noise in my head about what, what is he expecting of me next what do I look like in this position how what could go wrong what could go right how do I make sure he doesn't reject me how do I make sure he sees me as sexy it's my head was just so filled with this kind of stuff that at no, no point in those decades did I stop and think that's not good sex yeah uh, a great performance driven by a lot of noise in my head fear of rejection being the main avoiding rejection being the goal and I think there are a lot of people out there who are caught up in that habit just like I was and I wish that someone had sat down with me in school or in my family when I was a young adolescent um, and sort of explained the role that queer sex can play and how complicated it can be for things I wouldn't understand uh, and that there are places you can talk about it to find really amazing sex because you made it happen because you set it up that way and because you were aware of your emotions and your emotional needs and yes, yeah, sometimes we do need to talk to a professional to figure those things out. Mm. It sounds like for you, there was no space to enjoy it in those times. No, and in fact, I, I caught, got so caught up in that performance and the need for it that that's what kind of led me to drugs. I found that on drugs, oh, I can do performance very easily and I seem to be enjoying it. There were consequences. There were quite big ones. But I have to say, that the, for the problem I had, enjoying gay sex and gay yeah. sexual liberation in that bedroom and that performance. So the, the issues I had, chems fixed them. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't want to advertise the chems to anyone that hasn't tried them, but I have to say that anyone trying to understand chem sex, have to know that the very first thing to understand is the reason we're using them so much is because they work. They do disinhibit you sexually. It's just that they have these consequences and that requires a great skill set to manage the consequences and a great environment of being able to talk about this issue so it doesn't become a problem. Yeah, so it's about finding a way to get the same result without the camps. 
Yeah. So yeah. how can we empower these people to um, not feel like they have to have performative sex, to be able to tune into their body, to be able to know what they want and to be supported in that process so they don't have to rely on stimulants to get there? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, fantasy is a powerful thing. Um, and when you've experienced your most extreme, you know, there's stuff that we might wank to in porn or fantasize about when we're having a wank or in the shower or something that we know that exists in my fantasy only and that it's not really congruent with the uh, the kind of life that I'm trying to create for myself because fantasy is a like there are no boundaries in fantasy the boundaries come in where you draw the line between real life and fantasy the thing about chemsex is we can actually explore some of those fantasies in a chemsex environment and then when people are trying to make changes around drugs and trying to figure out how does sex fit into my sober life what they're trying to do is bring those extreme fantasies into this sober mental state and it's too much for a lot of people and yet they keep trying to do it and so they find themselves being triggered to use drugs and going back into the drug use cycle or saying i can't enjoy sober sex because they're kind of trying to replicate chemsex in a sober environment. So it is a different kind of sex. Mm -hmm. And it is about sort of knowing where do I park, where do I, I close the door temporarily between my chem fantasies and my real life and seeing them as different objects. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's something that I call learning the difference between your fantasy and your desire. And if we're talking about fantasy as something that is safe to explore in your mind um, or safe to explore in chems, or you feel like it's safe to explore in chems, um, and desire is what you actually want to happen in your sex life. And <clears throat> exactly as I was saying, learning the difference between them. And I think there's something about the senses that's coming up for me as well, because if we are overanalyzing, we're anxious, we're in the mind, with thinking about sex has to be a certain way. Such a great way to discount that is just to tune into what we can feel on the body. So noticing texture, temperature, sensations, and allowing that to be maybe a driver for learning, well, what type of sex do I want? What type of sensation do I want to experience? And what type of emotion do I want to feel? Do I want to feel passion or do I want to feel grounded and safe? Do I want to feel exhilarated or do I want to feel like I'm in a loving and um, caring environment? And something about aftercare is coming up for me as well, um, because I don't know if there's any type of aftercare in the chemsex community, but I imagine if you're trying to replicate those kind of fantasy things that you might have been doing, but not on drugs, and you don't have aftercare, then that's just going to leave you so vulnerable and, and open, and you don't know where to put those emotions. Yeah, so what you're calling after, I mean, well, firstly, yes, if I was... Um, when my head was full of all of that noise, one thing I wasn't aware of is someone touching my skin and what it felt like. I couldn't yes. have answered you. If, um, if someone talked to me afterwards, what did they smell like? I wouldn't have been able to tell you because my head was so busy with all of these performance things. So, I mean, this aftercare you talk about is crucial. In, so chemsex support is a pathway. It's quite a, a broad, florid kind of pathway. It kind of, at a very extreme point, it's somebody who might be heavily addicted to drugs. And it's not so much about the sex or the chemsex, it's really about just helping manage their physiological symptoms as they make changes around drugs. Then it's about unpacking the habit and undoing the habit. It's about exploring, making changes and achieving goals. So really, so chemsex really starts with figuring out how do you want chems to fit into the next seven days mm -hmm. and making that goal happen. And sometimes we need a support worker to help us do that. That's kind of the main part of chemsex support. When a person is really good at achieving goals, so they can say, I know that I don't want to do drugs in the next seven days. And I'm 100% sure that I, I will achieve that goal. 
some people it's like i don't want to use drugs in the next seven days but i can't say for sure that i won't because my cravings are so powerful so that's when chemsex support does that kind of work but when a person gets really good at managing their goals and they say i cravings are not scary to me anymore when i have cravings i know how to manage them and i'm in control of when i do drugs and when i don't not the cravings so the next step is then what you might call aftercare is yeah, if you're going to continue having cravings for the rest of your life, unless you're going to meet your authentic sexual needs. So learning to have sober sex and enjoy life without drugs. Because for some people, every weekend, if you ask them, what are you looking forward to? If there's a bank holiday coming up, what are you looking forward to most? It's not, I want to have drinks with my family. I want to go to the cinema. I want to have a barbecue. It's like, I want to do chem sex. So sometimes aftercare is about learning how to enjoy life without that rush of drugs and learning how to have sober sex. So sometimes that's talking about it with a therapist like yourself and finding solutions. I also really like the idea of very practical solutions. Um, I, I'm very curious to hear what lust yoga is because I know that things like massage or getting, getting people familiar with touch and sensations in a sober way is one of the most successful ways of learning to have sober sex. Tell me about this stuff. Okay, so Lust Yoga um, is a yoga style that I created. Do you know anything or much about yoga? I know a little bit, but I want to hear it all. So talk to me like I know nothing. Okay, so I've, I've brought in practically two different types of fusions of yoga. So yin yoga, which is where you really soften and relax into the nervous system. You might hold a pose for between maybe like two and seven minutes. And what it's doing is it allows the nervous system to activate the parasympathetic nervous system. So this rest and digest function. So I try to start and end the practice with that so that the nervous system knows that we're safe to experience pleasure in the body. So that's the idea with the yin yoga. And then the middle part of the practice is more of a vinyasa flow, but very gentle, very slow so that you can tune into the body the whole time. Now the yoga practice is fused around the second chakra. Do you know what the chakras are? Tell us all. <laughs> So um, there's seven main chakras that go through the body in a line adjacent to the spine. The first one starts around the groin at the base of the tailbone. And the last one is at the crown of the head. So the idea is each chakra um, works in a different way. They all have a color. They have a kind of theme, if you will, and they can be over or under active. Now, the second chakra, which is just below the belly button, is our center for both creativity and sexuality. And we can target that center by doing mindfulness, so meditative practices where we're focusing on that, but also by doing different types of hip openers um, within the yoga practice or not even a yoga practice. So the class is used around hip openers to activate the second chakra. And then I also include tantric practices such as hip rocking, kegels, which is engaging and releasing the pelvic floor, um, breath work, things like that. And the breath is different to a typical yoga practice as well. We try to breathe in through the nose and out through the mouth with a ha sound to soften through the throat because that allows us to kind of ask for what we want because it unblocks blocks the throat chakra as well. Um, and a lot of people are not breathing or they're not breathing in sex and everything is tense. So it allows this kind of eroticism to flow through the body with the prana. So I've taken all these different elements and put them together. Firstly, because I think for anyone to experience pleasure in their body, they need to, as I said before, be tuned into the body. So by holding a yoga pose and by noticing how that feels, it is kind of building up the pleasure practice 
right? So we can then notice someone's touch or we can notice a feeling on the penis or in the vagina and the vulva because we have this awareness of all these micro sensations in the body as well as opening through those chakras and opening through the hips um, and around the pelvic area, which helps to allow this erotic charge. So that is the idea of lust yoga. I've tried, uh, it's brilliant. It really is, it, I think it is the solution, you know? I mean, I, I'm not, I've, we've been using a lot of psychosexual therapy and I, I'm a fan of it. I think it's crucial and essential. But I also think when it comes to chemsex, as a drugs worker, I believe in action, less talk. You know, it's about achieving the goals. You can talk forever. Every, yeah. You can talk every month about why you use drugs, but it's about actually making the change this week. And with sex therapy, I think it's also the same thing. They can talk about it and have a great academic intellectual understanding of why they can't have sex after many sessions of the psychosexual therapist, but it's actually making those changes and very goal-focused stuff, yeah. which is what I like about you. I think we've had conversations before about um, how pe sober people in the fetish community can help people who are sort of exiting chemsex to learn different kinds of sex because they've got safe words and sexuality is yes. out and out and it's a, it's a, it's a owned fetish. We've also had um, people from uh, who practice sort of a tantric massage and tantric sex sort of giving workshops for people too. And what you just described is kind of, yeah. it's what people need is learning how to just to be with their body and their sensations and their aroused state yeah. without a, in their head yeah. that's it so how does it feel to sit with arousal and not have to do anything about it how does it feel to notice the sensations in my body so that i can um notice why a partner is touching me and how is it that i can practice being mindful so i can stay focused on a future sexual situation i think lust yoga really encompasses all of that and um i really advise all my clients to do maybe not lust yoga specifically but yoga or anything where you can just be with the body. And it might just be when you have your shower, actually noticing how the shower gel is on your skin. When you are putting your hand cream on your hands, instead of just whacking it on and you know not, and not noticing it, like actually how does it feel to put it in between your fingers? How can you find elements of this connection and bring it into your everyday life so it doesn't feel like a chore or this big thing you have to accomplish? It's, uh, uh, we, uh, we know that mindfulness is a really good tool with this, but and I think what you're describing is kind of a bodyfulness, a mindfulness and bodyfulness, a tactile mindfulness, which is yeah, really crucial. I know that a lot of people sort of, the, the sober sex they do enjoy when they're not doing chemsex is sort of wanking. And quite often that's a very violent going to the computer with a flaccid penis, not aroused, and kind of looking at more and more extreme pornography to force a sense of arousal on them, which is such a violent act, really, you know, when you're trying to force an erection on a body that isn't actually horny. And uh, with all of the complications of that, I really think that it, it, you don't have to give up chems to just learn how to appreciate your, your body and learn what the aroused state is in an un, non-intoxicated state. Yeah. yeah. And we have to round up in a minute, but I just want to get one last thing in there before we do. If someone comes to a listener and they say that they're struggling with chemsex, do you have any advice of how they should support that person? Okay. Um, if, so, if, if you're a friend, if you're, you're friend- the, You're the friend who gets okay. Um, told. Okay. Well, the first thing to that friend would be, don't make the mistake of um, assuming that they have to stop drugs. They may be, whether that's true or not, that's not the right conversation to have at this moment. It's really about, um, 
I think for the first person to befriend is you're not the right person to help them make changes. It's you're the right person to listen yeah. um, a lot without opinions, really, your own opinion mm -hmm. about drug use. But um, you're the right person to listen. But when it comes to making changes around drug use, when it's becoming problematic, you really do need a, a professional, someone that's really good at when a person is struggling with drugs, there's a lot of ambivalence. There's a lot of, I want this on Tuesday morning, but I want that on Saturday night and I can't reconcile those two things. And then there's a lot of anger and denial that can go along with internalized anger and confusion. And that does require a professional. So as the friend, I would say, listen, really kindly and be there as you can. But when it, but when it comes to helping them, do motivate them to find some professional help because it is kind of complicated and it is a bit hard on the layperson. Yeah, and I think also, listen to what they're actually saying instead of assuming how they feel, right? And putting those judgments on them because how they're feeling could be completely different to how you expect that they are feeling. What most people who don't do drugs sort of say when they're trying to support a loved person who's using drugs is that, that they come to me on every, like every Monday, they're here saying, help me, help me, I want to change. But every Friday, they're nowhere near me. They're ignoring me. They're not showing up at my dinner table. And they, I can't do, deal with them. They, they might, I'm tired, I've lost patience with them wanting help on Mondays, but not wanting help on Fridays. And I can't handle this conflict. That's the kind of experience you hear from loved ones, family members who are trying to deal with a person. And that's why sometimes just listening can be kind. Don't get too involved in their journey toward recovery just yeah. be a kind listener but do motivate them to not just talk to you but to do something about it with a professional yeah well i have really enjoyed this conversation thank you so much for coming where can the listeners find you if you google david stewart chemsex i'm all over your screen bit <laughs> yes um <laughs> sorry i really shouldn't say that word um <laughs> i'm all over your um so, social media so david a stewart i think just google david stewart chemsex and you'll find me uh, there's my website which is davidstewart.org which as you int introduced uh does have a whole lot of really self-help resources on there yeah honestly guys david's website is amazing and there's some stuff i wanted to talk about that we didn't have time to he's got this amazing kind of first aid section if you um are in the chemsex scene then that's really helpful and there's just so much amazing stuff on that so give it a look whether you are in the chemsex scene or whether you want to educate yourself more which i think we could all do a bit more of and yeah it's been so great having you thank you so much <laughs> thank you becky i've enjoyed it too thanks <laughs>